0: to another episode of Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides and with me as always is Mr. Chris Elstrom who is currently smiling. Why are you smiling?
1: Because I have you on camera and I <laughs> see what you did there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> How all you right doing then? Jody? I'm doing all right. I am drinking some tea. I'm getting ready to talk about something that... Listeners will hopefully absorb and say, yes, this is what's been missing from my ability to mix. What about you? Yeah, I'm doing good. I'm, I'm ready to talk
1: here. I'm having my coffee. It's starting to kick in. So i going to enjoy doing a little chatting about some mixing here. So today we are talking about how to add movement to a mix. Uh-huh. And we have talked about this off camera, you and I, but frequently when I get asked to give mix critique to people that send me their stuff. And, and quite often it's people that, unlike yourself, that are just starting out and doing stuff. Sure.
0: I, What's the most common phrase that you set them up with before you do that? Well, the
1: first thing I ask is, like, how honest do you want me to be, right? <laughs> but but the, the problem that I see a lot and hear a lot is what I like to call lazy mixing, mm-hmm. where – Things get introduced into the song, into the track, and then they just stay there. There's very little going on as far as like movement. There's no life to the mix. It's just a static thing. And everything could sound pleasing, right? It's not that there's necessarily anything wrong with the
0: instrumentation or whatever, but
1: it's it's kind of like
0: spaghetti thrown at the wall that stuck and didn't go anywhere. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Uh,
1: (laughs) That's not the analogy I would have gone with, but. Yeah, it it brings a lifeless mix. And we're hopefully going to give some tips here, some relatively basic tips, actually. But it's helpful to think about how some of these things can just really bring life into a mix and uh, hopefully translate to a better song. Would you agree with all of that, that that happens to you as well? I'm sure.
0: To an extent, yes. But generally, the, the first thing I open up with when I get asked to do it is, do you want me to tell you the truth? or tell you that you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. (laughs) Because that way I can save myself a whole lot of time.
1: Yes. No, that's true. And I would say that if you're not ready to hear the truth about your mix or whatever it is, then don't ask, right? Or if you want just somebody to pump your tires, then it's like, okay, just I'll tell you that. Yeah, it's awesome. But you ultimately end up lying to yourself. Sure. Yep, yep. There's taste and stuff involved, you know, but, uh, <laughs>
0: there's opinions as well, exactly. some more informed than others
1: that, and then you have to take into account like, well, does this person have a point to, is there something that I should be working on here? Or is it something that I could ignore? But mm-hmm. anyway, let's dive right in. The first thing I kind of hinted at here that everything is static Yep. level automation, super easy to do today. It's not like we have to do the Adam Mosley rush mix when there's 10 of them sitting by the table, right? Well, but they're <laughs> doing movement
0: when they're doing that and they have all those hands moving things and going on. So there's a exactly. lot of movement when it actually
1: goes. Exactly, and that's my point. Today we're sitting with a DAW, so there's no excuse to not have these automation you know, movements things happening happen, in your mix. Right. Exactly. What is something that You tend to do with with first, when you think about level automation, is that something that you do on just about every track or or how do you treat that?
0: I'm going to preface this by saying it has a lot to do with the performance of the instrument or track in question. Are you saying it's content dependent? No, not necessarily content (laughs) dependent. It's it's not exactly content dependent. It is more performance dependent because some performers – are very good at being dynamic in the right place and time. Others, not so much. Gotcha. So, when they're a good dynamic performer, you don't have to touch the fader nearly as much unless something gets a tad too extreme, which generally speaking doesn't happen a whole lot if they know what they're doing. But let's say they don't know what they're doing. They're either going to keep that performance at a static level. Or they might overdo it by getting too quiet in one spot and too darn loud in another. And of course, if those two things of confluence happen in some way, shape, or form, you have to start moving faders to affect that situation to either even it out or actually add the movement back in.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. That's one aspect of it. But let's say on the flip side of that, Mm -hmm. that you have an instrument that by its very nature, is not super dynamic. Right. Let's say that you have like a distorted guitar, mm-hmm. right? Generally, not a whole lot of dynamics going on there. Then I'm talking about level automation in the sense that, okay, well, say this wall of guitars comes in and kicks you in the face, right? A downbeat of bar one, right? Did I lose a tooth in the protheth? Yes, <laughs> quite, yes. Okay. If it's heavy enough, you will. All right. But then... You know, you might bring them down, even if it's just a couple of dB in the verses, for example, like to to, to make that breathe a little bit. And it doesn't have to be drastic movements, but a little bit can go a long way here. So I'm talking about those kind of level automations as well.
0: Yep, I agree. I would do that.
1: Yeah, you mentioned performance-wise. Yes. Say from, say, probably the most dynamic instrument is the voice, right? How people play along with that mic, and if they do, and if you need to project more, if they have the technique like you're alluding to, that they back off a little bit when they do that, mm-hmm. or if they're just screaming into the mic and then they're blowing the whole thing, right? You might have to ride those as well. So having the vocal sit properly, it's probably a heavy use of, of vocal automation there before you get to any kind of processing, I would say.
0: Yes, to so an extent. Says- In terms of the vocal, I'm going to slightly disagree with that i will tend to find the loudest portion of the track and set the compression and things mostly to that and then for the softer portions i will ride that into the compression a little bit so that you get that slightly more even nature of the dynamic of the performance does that make sense because if you set it yeah and you're doing all that prior to going into everything then you don't quite get the same dynamic out of it, I guess, would be a best way of saying it in what I'm trying to cut across here. Yeah, no,
1: I, I think I get what you're trying to say, and I agree with it. I would also caution against using a compressor as a mixing tool to completely not have to do any kind of automation rides. And I no, know no, no. And I know that's not what you're saying. That's not
0: what I'm trying to say. No, and I, know, I know. At the same time, I actually still ride automation post compression anyway right but I don't overly compress unless that's the nature of what's needed for that particular vocal part or any other instrument part for that right. matter generally you don't want to over compress that that's my point
1: yeah no but I'm saying there, there's a lot of muddy waters here that we can we can kind of get into because it is very tempting if we have a dynamic vocal mm-hmm. and you say that well, you set it to the loudest point of compression so you kind of tame those peaks and even out the, the performance just a bit, mm-hmm. right? Yep. If you have such a dynamic performance that at some parts it's not even registering on the compressor,
0: well, you might get an unexpected result. Let's you say might, that yes. Way.
1: Right. And so if it's that
0: start- particularly drastic, I'm going to actually probably chop that particular vocal track out, duplicate it, put the quiet thing that's not even registering and re-deal with it on its own track in that regard.
1: Now, this is turning into a little bit of a a vocal mixing kind of a thing. Yes, but (laughs) but let's not go there.
0: Yeah. Let's say
1: that everything is performed well anyway with the vocals and everything, but there's still some automation perhaps going on. Maybe there are more instruments coming in on the chorus, so you might have to bump the vocal a couple of dB to make it have the presence that you want, as opposed to just saying, oh, the vocal sounds awesome by itself. It's going to stay at minus 18, whatever, on my fader through the whole track, right? But is that really doing it for the song? So that's what I'm talking about, adding a little bit of movement to the mix. Mm -hmm. But the vocal might not be as as obvious because you want that to be prominent throughout. Generally um, speaking, yes. Generally speaking, absolutely. Another tip that I think I actually learned from you initially. Uh-oh. And No, this is a good one. <laughs> but it is in the transition of sections. Let's say that you're going from the verse to the chorus. If you have like a big impact mm-hmm. to actually do a little bit of a volume automation on the master fader going into a different section. Yes. And I'm talking just very, very little, maybe like a dB or something, mm-hmm. and then having a slow come back down, or even just slight volume automation through sections as it is, right? So yes. the, the chorus could be a little bit louder. That's another kind of cool little trick that you can do to, to add some extra impact.
0: Yes, I do that a lot. Do you do that
1: with just about uh, every mix? Just about
0: think? every mix, I do that. Yeah. Each part gets a slightly different volume level. Just to get that additional interest, you bring the verse down, you bring the pre-chorus up a little bit, you bring the chorus up a little bit more. There's a little bit more to the automation than that because I'm doing another, like as you say, a bump right on the the downbeat of each section to really make that section pop when it hits that part, if it needs it. Some songs you don't do that, but I would say 95, 97% I'm doing that.
1: Yeah. So. And this is obviously dependent on the arrangement as well because you probably wouldn't do that if it's just like an acoustic guitar and a vocal, right? But if you have uh, more yeah. instrument... Really? You've
0: done that, yeah, in, that I've done case in too? Yeah, i done it in very, very sparse mixes, I do it. it. It's not as drastic, but I still do it. Hmm. Yeah.
1: Okay. I'll have to pay a little extra attention next time you send me a mix for it. <laughs> <laughs> on, on the... Yeah, but then, I mean, again, if, I, if, if you're done- not
0: hearing it and I'm not saying anything, then I'm doing my job right. That's right. Absolutely right. Other things of, of,
1: you know, when we're introducing tracks into a mix here just with a level automation. Let's say that you have a didgeridoo going through the whole song. Yeehaw. Right? Just, that's just an play longer, instrument. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but insert your favorite esoteric instrument, whatever it happens to be, or whatever element in the mix. Mm-hmm. Does it really need to stay at the same level all the time? Yes. Or do no, I'm just kidding. Well, if it's did you do, obviously, but no, but, but but the idea of making those decisions where bring it down a little bit in sections, maybe uh-huh. take it out and it gets into a little bit of arrangement issue here, but just using track automation for all of those things and consider it what is going on and add life to a mix. Level automation, step one, when it kind of comes to that, right?
0: I'm going to add just something a little bit that you can steal away from the pop mixing world, especially for somebody that's in the nature of Katy Perry or a Lady Gaga or Pink, and I'm seeming to be on a female kick right here. A lot of their songs have multiple hooks going on all the time. And when you have stuff like that going on, it makes it easier to add that movement because all you have to do is pick which hook do I want getting the prominence at this particular point in the song. And when you don't have constant hooks like that, you still have to think, well, what instrument should be more prominent at this point? Yeah. And you can change that out. And that's part of that whole level automation thing that goes on. It's like, do I want the piano to creep up a little bit here? Would I rather have a guitar or the bass or even the drums or the vocal or in a background vocal or something in a particular section of the song to suddenly get a little bit more importance. And doing that adds that additional movement that you're talking about just from level automation. Does this add a lot of time to your mix? Yes, it does.
1: Yeah, but it's worth it in the end. I mean, unless you're on a super crunched deadline, right? We have to Mm -hmm. turn a track in, but it does add a lot to it. And it's, it's always so frustrating when you've done a mix and you listen back to it perhaps years later even. Right, And you go, oh, I wish I would have done this or I would have done that. I should have done those. Well, do all those things while you're doing it. You know, Yeah. Well, (laughs) the other thing
0: too is you might not be thinking about it. So you need to grab the ruler 20 years later and slap yourself on the back of the hand and be like, bad mixer, bad mixer. Do it better next time.
1: (laughs) Or uh, yeah, just be aware of it, right? We all have those things. Nothing is ever finished. What do you say? A mixer's never finished. It's just abandoned, right? But those little things, the the little extra things, it's – It adds a lot, it adds a lot. Last thing on the volume automation, it's just a mix I did uh, just this week, where a lot of times we think about the drum kit as a whole as just that's the foundation of, of the track, right? And it tends to stay there. It goes up at a certain level and then it stays, it doesn't really do anything. Well, one thing that I did on this particular track was when there's drum fills in between sections, perhaps just ride those a little bit if they need to. Right, And it yeah. can just make that pop out a little bit more. So yep. don't be afraid of if it's just like a foundational instrument, if it's a bass line that's going on, adds that foundation. But when the bass player goes up and it plays a lick an octave higher, right? maybe ride that a little bit. Make that stand out to give the bass player some props, damn it. You know? Yeah, do
0: it. Yeah. And just to kind of go back to the vocal thing really quick before we get yeah.
1: on. Let's do it.
0: As an example a mix that I just finished late last week. Singer, quite dynamic in the song, Mm -hmm. had a couple of spots where the verse comes down pretty far before it rides into the pre-chorus, into the chorus. I had to do rather extreme volume rides. Now, if you were to listen to that vocal soloed, it would sound a little bit out of sorts. But when you put it into the track with the rest of everything else, it actually keeps the clarity of what she's singing and saying in check. And I did not use compression, so to speak, to try and solve that by over compressing the normal area of the song and trying to make the very tail end of these really quiet parts fit into the compression. And that's why I said sometimes you have to take it onto another track and alternate the compression. But what I did, as I mentioned earlier, I'm riding that area into the compression with an actual volume automation on the track.
1: That makes a huge difference. I remember, I'm reminded as you're telling your story here, reading about Mutt Lang when they were sitting doing a mix. And I i want to say it was for some Shania Twain stuff, mm-hmm. where they would sit with each member how like a 32-band EQ, and they would sit there and ride in real time just on different syllables for the vocals to make them stand out. Wow. So now, that, now that's a level of perfectionism that is a little <laughs> bit beyond most of us. Yeah.
0: But uh, you can't argue with the sound of those records, you know. No, he certainly kicked so. it in the ass. And with that, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. And we're back. And at this point, we're gonna talk about panning. Yeah. How do you use that to make some movement
1: happen, Chris? Well, I was kind of half joking before we started recording here with I thought something that you would have done like 25 years ago where you mm-hmm. just swapped the guitars left and right. But <laughs> now, <laughs> no, that's, but-
0: I, I answered saying that I don't think that I've done that, or at least I know that I have not done that in at least the last decade or more. That's <laughs> not to say that I may not have done it.
1: Yeah. In the no, first few mixes that I ever tried. <laughs> right. The reality here, when I'm thinking about panning, is let's say you have a mix where you have two guitars. You know, we usually put those left and right, just to add a little width. Sure. Now that's an obvious thing. We think, okay, but they're there. But then the thing is that they don't necessarily need to stay there in their same spot. They Why can not? You put can.
0: them right in a rut. Leave them.
1: You can. It depends on the part here. One thing that can happen is that let's say that you want to add a little bit more excitement to the chorus, let's say. Sure. You might not have them hard left and hard right during the verses, for example, Mm -hmm. and then just add an extra, you know, just bring them out, that extra 10% or whatever for the choruses, and that, that will open up. That would be one thing when we're talking about guitars. Other thing could be, for example, an underlying melodic thing that's going on during a little bit of a melody hook or whatever. Mm -hmm. Something I try every once in a while is to have that slightly go from left to right. Not to the extremes, just having it move a little bit. It's, It's not the lead part, but it's something underneath. But that adds a little bit of movement. Those are little things that are not super obvious at first listen, but if you're listening in a certain environment, if you've got your cans on or whatever, you can hear that movement and it adds a little bit of interest to the mix. Same thing if you have... Let's say something super generic like, Oh, you got a pig slide going on, like,
0: bam, going down, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe pound something like that left to right, add some movement to it. So, or make it sound like it's going straight from one side of your head to the other. I have done that,
1: yeah. Those might sound like generic examples, but I'm still floored that a lot of times I hear people not employing any of these,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? There, I think things can become sort of generic and cliche for a reason, right? It's because they usually work. Well, the other thing that
0: we need to be thinking about coming with the 3D listening technology coming to headphones Mm. is hopefully not having shit circling around your head too often.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's like just because you can doesn't mean you should, right? Right. And also little panning things and then, of course, when it comes to anything – it's easy to think, oh, okay, well, we got a little bit of tinker on piano on this song, right? I'm just going to stick that right down the middle. Now, we'll leave that for the bass and snare and kick and vocals, right? Right up the middle. Pan it off a little bit to the side or mm-hmm. do something. Yeah, adding some movement there. And even if they're not drastic moves, think about where you're placing things.
0: Yes, and I can think of one mixing engineer who's actually done very, very well for himself, who abides by a very simple rule. It's either mm-hmm. center hard left or hard right, he does nothing in between. Yeah. And it works for him. Yeah. I think that would bore the shit out of me, but he's definitely doing very well. Moving on from panning though, what's our next little thing that we want to discuss? Well, the next thing that we can do is like little splashes of effects, Mm
1: -hmm. right? And I'm thinking delay throws or anything where you have a delay line coming in on the end of a vocal line, for example. Sure. And that could bounce all over the place if you want to. Just little splashes that just kind of go, ooh, what was that?
0: You know, and what you just described, I just did this morning before we were recording this podcast on a mix.
1: There you go. (laughs) Yeah. But I like to use the phrase like production candy Mm -hmm. when it comes to that, where it's just those little bits that can hopefully elevate your mix a little bit more than it is.
0: And one other Rever- ones that we have here in, in the notes is one that I did judiciously actually in a song called Hero Unexpected, mm-hmm. where it comes out of the first chorus and has a giant empty drum filly section before it hits the next verse, and you hear this, with the drums and doing on that where it hits the bat on the very tail end of this fill before it kicks right back into the one, hit a nice big reverb right there. And it's like it's not drastic, but it's enough to make that kind of stand out. And on top of that, with level automation bringing that up, since it's the only thing up in the mix at that point in time, so that it holds the volumic value, so to speak. Right,
1: the loudness juiciness, or what's the sonic juiciness?
0: (laughs) Sonic juiciness. Yes. Sorry, butcher. Now we've got volumic. What did I? What was the VV volumic? Something, I just said it. I'm gonna have to go back and listen next time and remember that one. That was a good one. (laughs) (laughs) What else do we have besides splashes of effects that we can automate into these things?
1: We can EQ things slightly differently Mm -hmm. as well, right? Again, it's a bit of a cliche now. I think it's a testament to that it works, like the phone voice, sure, right? How you can have little phrases pop out by doing things like that. But you think that's
0: slightly overused, don't you?
1: I do. Okay. I do think that's that's very overused. It's overused because it worked for a long time, right? It's still but, but effective. The, yeah, the idea is still interesting, though I think, because it doesn't have to be the phone voice, and it, it could be anything. But just EQing things a little bit differently. Let's say I'll go back to a guitar thing, mm-hmm. right? Let's say that there's a riff that goes in before it kicks into the chorus or whatever. Perhaps do some like extreme EQing on that. Maybe suck out all the low end. Suck out all the I am, remove it altogether. No. But, <laughs> but adding something to that so it's like, it doesn't sound normal right? can add just some life to this. So sure. it's those little sparks that, that you can kind of do, again, with automation of EQ using filters and just having those automate through so that they creep up or they come back down. That's something. Well, that's a big thing know,
0: in the EDM world. They do
1: that a lot. Yeah, I was just going to say that really make that breathe and pump and just like, what the hell is going on here? Something's about to blow up, right? Mm
0: -hmm. Good way of describing that. It's about to blow up.
1: Yeah, exactly. So In a world before uh, mixes. (laughs) Automation. I, I think the overarching thing here is just automation. Make use of it. It's in your DAW. It's really simple to use these days. And a little bit can go a long way here, I think. Yes. Speaking of cliches, another thing, you know, we're talking about going into different sections. What's the biggest cliche ever when you're going from one section to the next?
0: Reverse cymbals, baby. Absolutely. <laughs>
1: yeah. How I got real good with that? those.
0: Yeah. Right. I st- I did it, I've got it in a demo of a song I'm about to go in and produce in the next month or so.
1: Oh, for shame. <laughs> oh, yes.
0: But I haven't used it in probably a year or two. So it's like it feels new again.
1: There you go. But then again, you, you can treat that different. It doesn't have to be just the naked symbol that's reversed. No, right? no, no.
0: I tend to mess with a lot of things when I do that.
1: Yeah. And you know what? I shouldn't pretend to be on my high horse here because I just did the same <laughs> thing, to be honest. <laughs> 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 yeah. It, it right. was a Yeah, it was a mix coming out. and It was a section that ended with two crash hits, uh-huh. right? And then there was a big drop. And what I did as the crashes were ringing out – I
0: reversed them used,
1: uh, reversed them as they're coming back in. So I had this sort of swooping thing
0: going back in. Nice. Inside. So in other words, so, you're in a glass house and you just threw your own rock. <laughs> oh,
1: hell yeah. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I am no better than anybody else. All right, then. The, yeah. Anything else of this that, that you'd like to, to kind of bring in?
0: No, but, I think the biggest thing is going back to the beginning where you're saying lazy mixing and i know both you and i have been guilty of it early on in the career kind of thing because sure. you're thinking oh man this is sounding so cool cuz i'm working on this by myself and as an example i just gave feedback to a friend of mine and it, of course i've given the standard do you want me to tell us? The, the, the podcast since sliced <laughs> bread or do you want me to be truthful and what makes it hard is he wanted me to be truthful but at the same point he already released it at that point is it really beneficial? But I listened to it and I gave him feedback. And several of the things that we've discussed were all things that came up. One of them was the things were static. Another thing was is that the drums, and he programmed the drums, Mm. had no life to him because it was like same, same all the way through. And it didn't think about in terms of the performance aspect and it was overly quantized. So it was like, everything's on a grid but it didn't work for the nature of the song. The vocal was the biggest thing that I gave him the most grief about because he put so much chorusing effect on the vocal all the way through that it was hard to hear the words. And it was one of those things where it's like, dude, back it Hmm. off. The the effect is cool, but the problem is, is that it's too loud and it's all the way through. It needs to come in and out to give a splash of the effect now and then. That was my opinion. And so he took it all. He didn't get angry about any of it, which was great. Essentially, the idea here is, is that he did a lot of the things that we're now talking about in this particular episode. Unfortunately, he didn't hear it prior to this. To do these things in moderation and to yeah. not overdo it unless the effect sells the point that you're trying to get across. And it's usually not 100% of the time is the effect ever going to sell the entire thing. You have to use things in moderation. That is my gut feeling on that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely agree. Because, I mean, we're talking about this and, and it makes it sound possibly like you have to automate everything through the whole
0: song. No, that's right? why I mentioned but, that if the performance is great, you don't have to do as much.
1: Yeah, but it's also a little bit goes a long way, right? It could be just a matter of a couple of dB here and there, right? Just so that something is happening. And, but have it work for the song to kind of get the emotion across as well,
0: mm-hmm. right? You know and, what else really drives this home? What's that? Having something like the UF-8 or the Personas Studio 16, is that the thing's called? The automated DAW boards where you can just ride oh, faders oh yeah, yeah, yeah. with your hands sure. so that you're not trying to draw all this shit in. Things like yeah. that, the SSL UF-8, it would be great and, and all those things.
1: Yeah, so that's a workflow thing. But if you have that, I think it you bring up a good point. And even if it's like, the fader port where you just have one fader. Yeah. Like the the PreSonus thing, right? It's easier to do that, put the track into write mode or or latch or whatever, and then ride that fader right where it is and boom, you're done.
0: Well, well, it makes it a lot easier, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, as opposed to opening it up and drawing it in. We can still do that. And I still, it's obviously, there's no excuse for not doing that if we don't have a controller. Mm -hmm. To round off this, I guess, it's easy to get when we're sitting and we're doing this by ourselves and we're not letting anybody else hear the mix before like your friend there actually released the track, Yep. Right? which I have to say, well, at that point, why are you asking feedback for the mix for But we can get so in our own heads that when we're sitting and we're listening to it again and again and again, that we can lose perspective of what is actually happening. And like all of us, it can be really hard to be objective about our own mixes sure right taking a step back or letting somebody else hear it because they might go like hey chris that guitar comes in right there it doesn't work or it's too loud or i can't really hear it perspective perspective and add some movement to the mix with some automation man Uh, oh yeah back into it
0: Yep. so let's get some different perspective on something else now called the variety finds what have you got this week chris
1: Well, you know me, Jody. I do. And if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you're probably aware I'm a huge Heaviosity fan. You don't say. Oh, I do say. I love Heaviosity. I love their stuff. And they have a new freebie. They have a new series called Foundations. and I mentioned them in the past, but we got a new sample instrument from Heaviosity. It's called Nylon Guitar. Mm -hmm. In true heaviosity fashion, it is more than just a well-sampled acoustic guitar. Oh, boy. So you can use it to create pads and all this kind of stuff. It's also a shocking lack of distortion in it. But For a nylon guitar, you don't say. Well, from being heaviosity. But it is a really, really cool thing. And even if you don't think, oh, I, I don't need a nylon string guitar. I'm not doing this and that. But it is so much more than that. It's awesome to create pads and... All sorts of just like rhythmic beds and things in your track. And it's free. So It's good. Yeah, Nylon Guitar from Heaviosity and part of their foundation series is my Friday find. Fun. And what about you? What
0: have you got for us? I'm going with something that I believe is called Tat. I think that's what it's called. It's T-A-T-A-T.
1: <laughs> that sounds like a Star Wars character. It does,
0: doesn't it? It's very, very close. It's like the at at things that they had, but with a T in front of it, there it's it's a MIDI plugin by a company called K devices. And the idea behind this thing is sort of like writing a script in logic. Mm-hmm. If you have the scripter where you can yeah. randomize MIDI notes okay. and this thing does exactly that. You can randomize a stream of MIDI to do pretty much whatever you want. And the idea is that you can tweak it with settings and you can create a mood with this thing. And it's got dials and sliders so that you can change up the rhythms that it's going to create with these notes that it spits out. And what it does is essentially randomize just notes with velocity patterns and lengths and all that kind of thing. So you can create some really funky, crazy maybe somewhat atonal shit with this, but it has moments of brilliance where you can then go back and say, at this point where it did this, select that, keep that, and move on. And then you can also use whatever you want to keep as something that can be a foundation for where it jumps off next. And it keeps Mm. that vibe going with that piece that you select. So if you're really into randomizing and doing crazy odd stuff with MIDI, Tatat or ta-a-tat, I don't know how to pronounce it, from K-Devices is your go-to.
1: Sounds like that would be a really cool thing if you're doing a lot of like sound design or something. Could to come up with like esoteric stuff. Sure. Cool. But it can
0: also do chords. So, I mean, it's, it's not like it's just straight linear lines. It can do chords as well. Nice. Yes. While we've got your attention, we ask that you go to InsideTheRecordingStudio.com and sign up for our mailing list. Doing so, will get you weekly reminders about the Tuesday tips when they come out, and we'll make sure you don't miss any future episodes of the podcast. Send us an email at goldstar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R, at InsideTheRecordingStudio.com with the word movement, and you'll get something cool back in your inbox. If you have a topic of suggestion for Chris and I to explain in a future episode, contact us at the contact page and we'll put it into consideration for a future episode. And with that, I'll say, see you next week. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'll talk to you later, (laughs) Joe.